Isaiah chapter 63. This chapter is highly prophetic about the second coming of Jesus when he returns in the wrath on the great and terrible day of the Lord when he comes to destroy those who hate him and hate the Father. This will happen at the end of the Great Tribulation. During the Great Tribulation, the Antichrist will be here, and then after three and a half years of the Antichrist's reign, that's when Jesus will come in wrath. 1. Who is this coming from Edom, from Basra, with his garments stained crimson? Who is this robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? It is I proclaiming victory, mighty to save. Basra and Edom are east of Israel. Jesus will descend toward Jerusalem, coming from the east. This description matches the description of Jesus in Revelation when he comes the second time. It says that he will be on a white horse and his robe will be dipped in blood. It also says there will be blood up to the horse's bridle. And this is because when Jesus slays people with a sword that comes out of his mouth, so many people will die that the blood will be several feet deep. And that is why his robe is dipped in blood. That's the robe that's hanging off of him when he's riding on that horse. It's dipped in the blood of his enemies. 2. Why are your garments red like those of one treading the winepress? He is treading the winepress of God's wrath, and that is a metaphor saying that he is killing the enemies of God. He won't kill all of them because after that comes the millennial reign, and people will still get saved during the millennial reign. Now this could be because people are born during the millennial reign. After all, it is a thousand years, and some of them will be saved. 3. I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger, and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments, and I stained all my clothing. He will fight that battle alone, with that sword coming out of his mouth. His words will kill people. He'll probably say, I am, and all of those who denied him and hated him will die. People who are secular and hate God always want to judge him, and they say, well, that isn't nice to kill people. But he has created us. He knows if we're going to repent or not before we die, and it's up to him when we die. When he kills people, it doesn't prevent any of them from receiving salvation because they had their whole lifetime to repent and follow him, and they had millions of chances to turn to the Lord. For it was for me the day of vengeance, the year for me to redeem had come. The year will come, and it has to be very close because we're very close to year 6,000 of the existence of mankind. So we're very close to the end of the six days of the creation of the Bride of Christ. 5. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled that no one gave support, so my own arm achieved salvation for me, and my own wrath sustained me. Jesus says that no one was there to help him on the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now he doesn't need any help, 
but he was appalled that no one stood with him. At this time, many Christians will have already been martyred. They will get their heads cut off for Jesus. So a lot of the Christians will be gone. And also at this time, the two prophets of Revelation will also have already ascended up to heaven. There will be little to no one on the earth that loves God. 6. I trampled the nations in my anger. In my wrath, I made them drunk and poured their blood on the ground. Making the nations drunk is a metaphor. When you're drunk, you can't control yourself and you can't defend yourself. The Lord will bring the nations to a place where they have no control and no defense against him. And that's because they raged against him for thousands of years. 7. I will tell of the kindness of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us, yes, the many good things he has done for Israel, according to his compassion and many kindnesses. It is kindness that the Lord destroys his enemies, because his enemies are also enemies of his people, and that's why no enemies of God will enter heaven. Heaven will not have all of the problems that we have on earth. Only the righteous will be there. And so it's part of God's kindness that he puts the unrighteous in hell so that his children will never cry again and never be harmed again. When we get to heaven, nobody will lie to us. Nobody will manipulate us. Nobody will cheat on us. Nobody will rob us. Nobody will persecute or laugh at us or harass us. Can you imagine a world where you're 100% safe and 100% loved? That will only be in heaven because of the kindness of the Lord that will not allow any evil people there. 8. He said, Surely they are my people, children who will be true to me, and so he became their savior. He looks at us when we repent and he says, That is my child, and then he becomes our savior. 9. In all their distress, he too was distressed, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. There is an angel mentioned in the Old Testament that went with Jacob. There's also an angel mentioned that went with Moses and helped the people wherever they went. This verse also proves that every time that you have ever suffered, the Lord has hurt for you. He felt your distress, and he also suffered when you suffered. So when Satan tells us that we're all alone and no one cares, that's an absolute lie. This verse says that when we suffer, Jesus also suffers with us. He's there, and he cares. Just cry out to him and trust him. 10. Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned and became their enemy, and he himself fought against them. Even though the Lord carried the Israelites like a precious child through the desert and allowed them to win all those battles in the land of Canaan, they still rebelled against him time and time again. So he would allow the pagans to win battles against Israel but that was really the Lord fighting Israel. 11. Then his people recalled the days of old, the days of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them 
through the sea with a shepherd of his flock? Where is he who set his Holy Spirit among them? Whenever the people were persecuted by foreigners such as Egypt or the Babylonians or the Assyrians, that's when people would turn back to God and they would be at the end of their rope and say, Where is our Savior? 12. Who sent his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand, who divided the waters before them to gain for himself everlasting renown? When Jesus parted the waters for the Israelites to cross, he became famous forever. In the Old Testament, he's called the right arm of God, and he's also called the Son of God. In the New Testament, he has the name Jesus. They always knew who he was. They knew the Son of God was helping them. 13. Who led them through the depths, like a horse in open country, they did not stumble. They crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, just as if they were crossing in open country land. There was no mud, no one slipped and fell. 14. Like cattle that go down to the plain, they were given rest by the Spirit of the Lord. This is how you guided your people to make for yourself a glorious name. This chapter has mentioned the Spirit of the Lord several times. We call that the Holy Spirit because God is the only one who has a Holy Spirit. But it is His Spirit. So His Son and His Spirit have been mentioned in this chapter. Some people claim that God is only the Father and the Spirit and the Son are a myth. But that isn't true. All throughout Scripture, it shows us that God is three in one. And it mentioned His Spirit even in Genesis chapter 1. And it mentioned that his son, the word, created the world in John chapter 1. And those are just two examples. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit. Your soul is your personality. Your spirit knows right from wrong. And your body is your physical form. And God also has a soul, which is the father that has his character traits. His Holy Spirit, which puts righteousness in us and his son who came in bodily form. It's pretty arrogant to think that we can be three in one, but God cannot. After all, he created us. This verse says that the Lord sent his spirit to the people. The spirit of God shows up in the Old Testament and the New Testament. 15. Look down from heaven and see, for your lofty throne, holy and glorious, Where are your zeal and your might? Your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us. 16. But you are our Father, though Abraham does not know us, or Israel acknowledge us. You, Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer, from of old is your name. See how the Bible also calls the Lord Father. The concept of Father and Son is all throughout the Old Testament. It's not a New Testament concept. In verse 15, it asks, where is your mercy toward us? Where is your compassion? But then in 16, it says, but we know you are our Father. And it says, even our own people don't recognize us, but you do. Perhaps this is talking about people who are engrafted into the family of God. You can be born an Israelite, but you can also be grafted into the family of God as a follower of Jesus. There are many followers of Jesus Christ who aren't recognized 
by the children of Abraham, but they are recognized by their Father in heaven. 17. Why, Lord, do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts, so we do not revere you, return for the sake of your servants, the tribes that are your inheritance? This says, Why do you cause the tribes of Israel to have a hard heart and not receive your Messiah? That's all it could be talking about, is the Messiah. The problem that the Jews have today is they deny that Jesus is the Son of God and their Savior. And the Lord has allowed their hearts to be hard for a time period. When we get to the book of Zechariah, we will read that a time is coming when Jesus returns and the people of Israel will turn back to him. That is the millennial reign, which is what this whole chapter has been talking about. The Lord has allowed the Israelites as a whole to refuse their Messiah for many generations, and it's to work his will so that all of the Gentile nations will hear the gospel. And then once they have heard the gospel, then Jesus will return in the millennial reign, and his own people will weep for him when they see him in the sky, and they will believe in him. When Jesus was on earth in human form, he was rejected by his people. So then the gospel was preached to the Gentiles, and when the fullness of the Gentiles comes, meaning all the people who are going to be saved as Gentiles enter into the family of God, then he'll turn back to his first children, the Israelites. But they will be on their knees, weeping and begging for forgiveness. This is what Revelation tells us. They will weep when they see Jesus' face and realize fully that they crucified and denied their own God. 18. For a little while your people possessed your holy place, but now our enemies have trampled down your sanctuary. The Babylonians trampled down the sanctuary, later on the Syrians did, and today the Muslims are trying to trample down the sanctuary of the Lord. That is only for a little while. There will come a day when Jesus will restore his sanctuary in Jerusalem. 19. We are yours from of old, but you have not ruled over us. They have not been called by your name. Those who come against the Lord, they are not called by his name. And that concludes Isaiah chapter 63.